0: Good morning, and thank you again for joining us here at South Suburban Christian Church. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series, When the Spirit Moves. When we first began this series, we started in Acts chapter 2 with Peter preaching the very first sermon after the day of Pentecost. You'll remember that in that message, we talked about Peter's laying forth the case that Jesus freely, willingly laid down his life for the sins of the world. And specifically, that Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, and His ascension are what made made the way for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The following week, we looked at the conclusion of that sermon where Peter was uh, answering the question that the crowd had, what should we do? And he tells them to repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, is that these folks who had rejected Christ now are being given the invitation to come into the community of faith. Last week, Pastor Joe and I sat down and talked a little bit about what that church, that early church, looked like in the days and weeks following that sermon, how they met together at the temple and then gathered in their homes to be instructed in the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, holy communion or the Lord's Supper, and the prayers. Also in that message, we talked about some other great moments, some other great stories of how the Spirit had moved people into a boldness, into courage as they proclaimed the gospel. And one of those was the story of Stephen and his sermon that he preaches. And we're going to look at that today. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to be picking up in verse 55 of Acts chapter 7. So if you have it, let's read along together. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story of Stephen actually begins earlier in chapter 9. During those early months of the church's existence, uh, complaints and arguments uh, begin to pop up. I I know, I know what you're thinking. It's hard to believe that even in the first few days of the church's existence, there might have been complaints. But if you turn back to chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we read, Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, the Hellenists were Jews by ethnicity, but they spoke Greek, not Hebrew. Not only did they speak Greek, they had adopted many of the customs, uh, the dress, the food, Uh, the day-to-day activities of the Greek and the Roman culture. They had, for all intents and purposes, turned their back on their own Jewish heritage. The Hebrews, however, well, the Hebrews here in this text are the conservative Jews. They speak Hebrew. They still dress as Jews. They practice their faith, uh, their dietary laws, all just like Jews ought to do. You could say that these are really two different kinds of Jewish people who didn't get along beforehand, and even now, when they both have come to know and believe Jesus, still aren't getting along very well. Those who had maintained the customs of their ancestors, those who were adopting new ways of dress, were finding themselves at odds with each other. Apparently, in the context of the text here, uh, the more conservative Hebrew-speaking Jews were deciding how the daily distribution of food would be handled with the widows in the church. And the Greek-speaking Jews, the more progressive Jews, noticed that their widows weren't receiving their fair share. In some cases, they weren't receiving anything at all, and so they complained, and an argument broke out. So the apostles, those initial followers of Jesus Christ, who are now the leaders of the church, decided that they would establish of all things a committee to settle the problem well maybe not really a committee but a new office was developed in the church the office of the deacon now it was the deacon's job to ensure that the needs of the congregation were fairly attended to that there'd be no preferential treatment that everybody would get their fair shake So they chose, as the Bible says, seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom. And they appointed these men, even laid hands on them, and called them deacons, which in the original language means servants. And Stephen was one of those first seven deacons of the church. Now, Stephen was really unique in this group because he really had distinguished himself as a as a, as a great preacher, uh, a man who could do great wonders and signs. He was one of the deacons who would go out and he'd speak boldly to crowds about Jesus. He would regularly engage people in conversation about, that, about how the law of Moses, uh, how the words of the prophets, how the Old Testament were all leading to the Messiah, and how Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled all of those writings, that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ. Now, part of what got Stephen in trouble is that he talked a great deal about a new day. Now, even though he never specifically said that he wanted to tear down holy places or that he wanted to change the traditions that the Hebrew people have always practiced, that's how the people heard him. That's what they thought, he said. That's how they understood what he said. They accused him of wanting to destroy the temple. They accused him of wanting to destroy the other holy places. They accused him of wanting to change the customs that Moses himself had given to the people of God. And so in chapter 7, Stephen begins to give this great and powerful sermon where he walks through all of the Old Testament with his listeners. He honors Abraham. He tells them about the great works of Isaac and uh, Jacob. He shares with them uh, uh, the faith of Joseph, who was sold into bondage in Egypt. He he talks to them about how Moses was called to lead the the Hebrew people out of the land of bondage. And he recounts the stories of the 40 years that they spent in the desert. But then Stephen stops preaching and he goes to meddling, as the old saying is. He reminded his listeners of the stubbornness of the Hebrew people, how they complained, how when they were in the wilderness, as God met every need, they found fault even with the things that God gave them. He told them how it was God Himself who would say that the Messiah was coming. It was God Himself who would say that He would no longer receive the sacrifices of animals. It was God Himself who said that the customs and the traditions that he had indeed given to the people to remind them of God's faithfulness, that it would be those actual traditions that would become their new God. That is, the things that God gave them to remember Him became for them idols in and of themselves. In verse 51, Stephen uses words that may have been true, but they really led to his undoing. Look at verse 51 with me. Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Well, now I'm not one to argue with one of the first deacons of the Church of Jesus Christ, but I do think Stephen could have probably given them a little slack. I mean, after all, the world that they knew was changing. The faith that was so much a part of their identity, their heritage, who they had been, who they were now, who they would be in the future. All of those things were changing. God was doing a new thing. And sometimes, well, new things, even if they're from God, they're hard to receive. And so, the people made plans To stone Stephen. Now, the events that are about to follow are really given context in verse 55. Look at verse 55 again with me. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, for me, the most important phrase in that sentence is full of the holy spirit now we're in a series where we have sought to lay before you the things that we might see and experience when the holy spirit moves great things happen when the holy spirit moves in our life and in the life of the church but there can also be significant cost even if it's in a human perspective The people grab Stephen, they take him out of the city, and they begin to hurl stones at him so as to kill him. I'm reading a book written by author Michael Hyatt. In it, he tells the story of the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union. In 1961, Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human being to orbit the earth. There was a real and legitimate fear in that time that the Soviets would figure out how to weaponize space. That threat had to be met. Now, the options were diverse as to how to do that. Some thought that we should do nothing at all. They believed that space was useless and it didn't matter what you did there because it wouldn't be of any good. Others thought that we should directly engage the Soviet Union militarily and so probably start World War III. But President Kennedy decided to issue a challenge. He wanted our nation to be the first nation to send someone to the moon, bring them back safely to Earth. Now historians tell us that at that time in the United States, Uh, we were suffering from an inferiority complex uh, that many of us just simply believed that we had been beaten by the Soviets and there was nothing that we could do. Life definitely was going to be different in this new age of space travel and space flight. And in the wake of President Kennedy's challenge, former President Eisenhower called such notion, quote, hysterical and viewed his spectacular dash to the, to, to the moon as, quote, nuts, <laughs> a stunt, he said. Even the, the, the administrator, the first administrator of NASA, T. Keith Glennon, was equally unsupportive, saying that President Kennedy's challenge was, quote, a very bad move. And from 1961 till 1967, Polls proved that the American people, the majority of the American people, did not agree with sending anyone to the moon. Well, I was born in January of 1969, and my parents said that they held me in their lap when on television on July 20th of that same year, Neil Armstrong exited the Apollo 11 lander and was the first human being to step foot on the moon. Well, other than my grandmother, who said we never went to the moon, she could never believe that, most of the folks that I remember from my childhood would celebrate with great bravado, saying, I knew we could do it. Isn't it funny how sometimes fact is stranger than fiction? Well, although President Kennedy was never stoned, he did lose his life and service to an ideal, to his nation that he loved. Over the last couple of weeks, we have shared with you some of what we're hearing from multiple sources about ways to navigate this pandemic. Our staff have been in attendance to half a dozen online conferences and meetings and and panel discussions about what the future holds. Even some of our own members and leaders in our congregation have attended similar panel discussions. They have been engaging and thinking through the impact of this pandemic, what it's going to have on our culture, and consequently, our church. Now, like those listening to Stephen's sermon, it's sometimes hard to process the things that are going on. It's hard to think about how things might change, especially when we find ourselves in the midst of the crisis. Unfortunately, it is all too human to find our comfort in the methods and the objects that help us worship God. Now, Those things are important to us. In many ways, they have defined our lives. Backyard cookouts block parties in our neighborhood, shopping, dinner out, going to the movies. All of those are pastimes that have defined for us what it means to live in community, what it means to be Americans, what it means to be successful or to have the good life. In the church, we have church worship services, fellowship dinners, Sunday school classes, our choir, small groups, all ways that we make connections, ways that we give hope, ways that we receive strength from others. It was bad enough to be told that we would be deprived of these things for a month or so. But it has been suggested that some of these things may never come back. And if they do, it will be one two years away that is hard to hear and bringing this live stream to you we're trying to give you images and aspects of what used to be normal for all of us south suburban christian church is really a unique congregation and i don't say that just because i'm one of the pastors during the early years of my ministry we went through something in the church called the worship wars During the 90s, many congregations had to make decisions about which road they were going to take. Some churches decided that they were only going to do traditional worship. Other churches said, no, we're going to do contemporary worship, whatever that means. South Suburban would be one of those churches that would take a different road, and some would follow in that same path, and that is is that we would try to do both, and that we would try to do them well. Each week, it takes about 30 hours to put this live feed together with our recording, editing, rendering, getting it prepared to send it out on various platforms on Sunday. And that doesn't even include the preparation for the sermon, the music, and the announcements. So we decided to blend some of the aspects of both of our services into one. We have the Lord's Prayer and the doxology which are present typically only in our traditional service. It's different for many of you, for you are folks that have attended only the contemporary service. Some weeks we've had a traditional hymn. Other weeks we've had more contemporary music. Sometimes our staff dresses more like they would for the traditional service, and other times they dress more like they would for the contemporary service. We know that change is hard. And sometimes, right or wrong, we try to give you all a a little bit of what you're used to, of, of what you're familiar with, some things that won't seem so strange as you and I try to navigate this season which is so shatteringly different than what we expected in this new year of 2020. The true thought and the true ideas are this. Life is changing. And the likelihood of going back to the way things were, like we experienced them in February, is growing increasingly less likely. Like the crowd listening to Stephen, or the American people responding to what seemed like an insane challenge from President Kennedy we will all respond in different ways. We can stone the messenger. <laughs> we can offer ideas that may indeed confront this new reality that's different than what we're hearing. We can ignore that any changes are going to take place at all. Or some of us can just choose to go into another room and pretend none of this is happening. But the church the church has a different call. We're called to seek the Spirit, to follow the Spirit, to be obedient to the Spirit. We discern that voice together, and we rely on the study, the expertise, the recognized gifts of discernment among our pastors, our elders, our other congregational leaders. And I think probably the best way to go forward... And I think you'll agree you would say the same thing is with humility, grace, and mercy. We'll make some mistakes. We'll misread some of the situations. We'll even say some things that may not be really true. But in the heat of the moment and because of the emotions that even we experience of anxiety, of fear, of anger, We'll wish we could take them back. Though that's not usually possible, is it? But, by and large, everyone, everyone is trying the best that they can. Because they love God. And they love this church. And they want to be faithful to the call of God in their life. All of us. Every single one of you. Me. All of us. Look again at our text, verse 59. (laughs) And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them and when he had said this he fell asleep does that sound familiar it's the same words that jesus cried out when he was on the cross just in reverse In the long grueling hours prior to jesus's crucifixion he was whipped and beaten falsely accused, and lies were blatantly told about him. As he hung there, the crowd, the soldiers, they taunted him. They they, they put a crown of thorns on his head to make fun of, of the designation King of the Jews. And in the midst of that momentous betrayal, that utter abandonment by all of those whom he loved, And those who had pledged their love and loyalty, even to their own death, but didn't. And that loneliness, He, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son said to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And in the end, Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Well, Stephen, too, in those last moments of his life, a human being, not the son of God, a deacon, not not a bishop, a man chosen to serve, not necessarily to teach and preach, a man who spoke the truth about what God was doing, that which God had said He would do in sending the Messiah, knowing that that would bring changes. Changes that too often unsettle us. This Stephen, falsely accused, unjustly executed, looked into the face of that angry mob hurling stones at his head and said, Father, forgive them. And then he commended his spirit to the one who had called him. Now this didn't happen because Stephen's a better person than you or or, or me. This was made possible because of what was revealed in verse 55 when we began this message. But he full of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit moves, courage comes. When the Spirit moves, grace is sufficient. When the Spirit moves, mercy overflows. When the Spirit moves, God calls us Into the midst of challenge and anxiety, fear and anger, to be a voice of comfort, a voice of reason, a voice of excitement and optimism for what lies ahead. Because we know it is God who is calling us. God is calling His church into a new day. He's calling us into a more intense relationship with our neighbors. He's calling us to an intentional discipleship with our family and our children. He's calling us into service, relational service with our community and to the world. (laughs) And the interesting thing, it's the same thing that God has always called His church to do and to be but it will look different. And years from now, we won't remember the fear. We won't remember the accusations. We won't remember the unsettled feelings of different music or prayers which we've never heard of or are not familiar with. And we'll say, I knew we could do it because the Spirit is moving. What a great day you and I find ourselves in as we shine forth the light of Jesus Christ because the spirit is moving